0: I'm going to have you join me in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We have been discussing the coming of Christ, as I called it, in three stanzas and a chorus. Each week we go by, and another week has. We have gotten that much closer to the coming of our Savior. And that's exciting to remember that and to know that is going on, I expect him to come soon. I do personally. Uh, And I know he will come because he has made us that promise and he always keeps it. The first stanza of our song of the coming of Christ included his first coming, the birth of Christ. I spent one week on that because I get the next four to do it as well. So next week we're going to start talking more about the first coming of Christ, the birth of Christ. We had a second stanza, I called Another Coming, which was the rapture of the church. And that's the one we anticipate soon. And that should be a a wonderful thing to keep thinking about. We have discussed it many times in the last uh, 11 years that I've been here. I don't know if we've gone a whole year without it coming up in some sort of setting, that we've talked about the rapture of the church. And that still is on the horizon here real soon. And then we talked about the final coming of Christ, which is technically called, or theologically labeled, the second coming of Christ, where he sets up his literal 1,000 year reign on this earth. And we talked about that as well, um, last couple of weeks too. But the course that went with all of that, was that the just shall live by faith. Just like they had to do at the first coming of Christ, There were some who expected it, who lived by faith and anticipated Christ to come. We talked about them. The fact that Christ is coming again for us, the church, is something we have to take by faith. And faith is not, well, we're going to talk more about it, but faith is more than just knowing it. And then also the second coming obviously has to be an act of faith too, because he has promised it. And scripture confirms it over and over and over again, and we should take what God's Word says and believe it. I am supposed to live today as if today is the day. And I'm supposed to live today as if my job isn't finished yet. I have much more to do. So, so far you have gone through seven messages on this topic, and they're all on our website. Uh, Today is number eight, and I'm going to call it the final stanza. Actually, the chorus. Because the best way to end any song, I think, is to hit the chorus. And sometimes, when we think of the end of the story, we think of the second coming of Christ as if it's the end of it all. Some even go on to say, well, you know, my whole goal in life is when I die to go to heaven and stay there for all eternity. And that's wonderful. I mean, that's great. But folks, there's so much more beyond the second coming of Christ that we anticipate experiencing. There's so much more to the story. We have set this uh, uh, schedule in front of you that the next thing up is the rapture. Following that, the second coming of Christ. Following that, the millennial reign of Christ. Following that, the destructions of the heavens and the earth The judgment of the unbelievers and the creation of the new heaven and new earth and all of eternity. You will be witnesses of all of that. As believers in Christ, you will see it. Because the promise of our Savior is real simple. When he said that he comes to take us to be with himself, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Wherever he goes and whatever he does, you're there with him. That's going to be exciting to watch. So many things yet to come. When we focus today on the chorus, one more time, Walking by Faith. It's not uncommon at the end of a song for the chorus to be repeated. We did that with a few of our songs here this morning. Sometimes we change the key. Sometimes we move it up a little in pitch and a little more in volume. And it's really hard to go up higher without getting louder. We know the Bible calls for us to walk by faith, right? It says it. it. says it quite a few times. Some people have a good understanding of the importance of faith. Some even have the ability to theologically describe faith to you. It's a challenge. It always will be. But the Lord is not addressing our intellectual understanding, but our obedience. Because, as he said, we shall live by faith. He didn't say we shall think by faith. We shall live by faith. To live is to think and to act. They're both part of the picture. As faith for the believer, we set our faith on things we do not see. Things we have not seen. We believe in God, don't we? Yeah, four or five of us do. I saw a couple of heads go, yeah. Uh-huh. But you've never seen him. You believe God sent his son to this earth. Were you there? Don't admit to it if you were. That puts you at 2,000 years or so. We believe Jesus died on a cross. But we weren't present. We believe Jesus rose from the dead. Boy, we get excited about that. But we weren't there either. We believe Jesus has saved us. You're convinced of that, right? Was there something tangible that came with that? When you became a Christian, did you hear like pop out white or something? There was very little as far as tangible is concerned. Salvation is understood by faith. Because it's wrought by faith too. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells us. Evan brought that up a little bit ago when he talked about witnessing. We believe the Holy Spirit indwells us and he's there right now. True? Yes? How do you know? Do you have like glory things coming out of your ears? Uh, What's the evidence? You take it by faith. Peggy points at her heart. That's true. (laughs) It's right there, isn't it, Peggy? We believe it. We believe it. We believe that when we die as believers, we go into the presence of the Lord, even though we've never experienced that. You know, when Peter wrote his epistle, he says he was amazed with people who loved him, though they'd never seen him. And that's... uh, That's what faith looks like. We believe Jesus is coming again. We could say it just in that whole paragraph of all these other things we believe. We don't know when, but by faith we keep looking up because we're expecting Him to come at any time. That's called faith. You see, you've been operating by faith a long time. These things you understand by faith that's the common denominator in the whole picture that the christian life is all about we live by faith god told us something in the bible and we believe it's true and we live in light of it that's called walking by faith now i'm going to take you into some heavenly thoughts here this morning uh i call it the chorus all right one more time, let's raise the pitch a little, let's raise the volume a little, and go to Second Corinthians 5. Verse number 1, I'm going to go all the way through verse 10 today. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, Longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore being always of good courage, and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith and not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Hmm, what a passage, huh? We're going to investigate this one bit by bit, paragraph by paragraph, as we work our way through this. So, let's ask for the Lord's guidance. Heavenly Father, your words in front of us, we have much to glean here. We are dependent upon you and the work of the Holy Spirit in us right now to teach us. So guide us through this passage and bring these things to our heart's understanding that we might live by faith, as you have called us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paragraph number one is verse one through four. Let's first talk about the body of the believer. We've kind of grown attached to it, haven't we? It's the only one you've ever known. This is the body that you wear, the skin you've lived in for all these years you've been on this earth. It's hard to think outside of it, isn't it? It's just what we have used to. And that's really no surprise. Paul, in this passage, likens the body to a tent. A tent. For we know, he says in verse number one, That if the earthly tent, and your text may say other words there, but that's the idea. The earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. How do we know that Paul's talking about our physical bodies here? We just jumped right into the sermon. The pastor said it was so. How do you know? Well, the context is very important. Notice the first word of this is like, you might have the word for. I do. You just don't start with that in a sentence. There's something that goes before. Four. Uh, There's an explanation going on here of something previously said. Or some additional information to what's been already written. So, while you're here, back up to chapter 4 for a minute. And look at verse 7. I'm going to cover 7 through 12 right here. Where he starts to talk about this picture. Verse 7, chapter 4, for we have this treasure. He's talking about the gospel of Christ and the glory of ministry. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, a clay pot. Which do you prefer, being called a pot or a tent? He says, we have our treasure, this treasure in earthen vessels. So that the surpassing greatness of the power of God, it will be of God and not of ourselves. Every time he compares himself to what God is doing, he compares himself to something fragile, temporary, something easily broken, something of very little value, because he wants us to see how great God is. God could work with broken things. God could work with cracked pots, can't he? God works with all kinds of tools, and, and every time God uses a tool, it goes back to the earlier part of First Corinthians, He says, "I prefer the things that are worthless and base and the things that are empty because then it shows that it 's my power it 's not yours and so again, he starts with this phrase it 's so that the great surprising greatness of the power be of God and not of ourselves but as far as our bodies are concerned and what we go through, this isn't easy. Paul says it so simply in verse 8. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but not forsaken. We're struck down, but not destroyed. Always tearing about, watch how he says this, in the body, the dying of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested In our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. So notice how he immediately began in this passage talking about our bodies, comparing it to earthen vessels. But watch what he starts to do in chapter 4, starting in verse 13. He starts to turn it immediately to living by faith. He says, but having, verse 13, by having the same spirit of faith, faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing That he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. Do you know what he just said in one verse? The rapture of the church. Did you just see it? And it's based on the resurrection of Christ. So if the resurrection isn't true, then the rapture isn't true. But when you answer something like the rapture to the resurrection, boy does that give credibility. That's the strongest part of the backbone, so to speak. He just attached it to. He says, knowing that he who raised Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will raise us also. The rapture is the only resurrection for the believer. The only one. And that's what we anticipate as church age believers. That's what the verse just said. Keep going in verse 15. For all these things, for all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart, though our outer man is decaying. There's the body. Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Have you noticed that? Some of you older Christians might say, I think I get it. Don't you wish you were as sharp spiritually as you 20 years back if you had the same thing you know now? Wouldn't that have been great? We are growing. We're renewed day by day. And that's the truth because God does renew us. And he's renewing us into the image of Christ. And that's going to work. But our outer man is decaying. He goes on to say in verse 17, For momentary light affliction, isn't that a sweet way of saying it, is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. That's the definition of faith. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things that are not seen are eternal. So naturally, when he gets into chapter 5, you can see how the flow keeps going. We break it up in chapters and numbers and verses. And Paul didn't write that way. Because verse number 1 flows right out of that thought. He's talking about this body. And the temporary, fragile, broken nature of a body. But we know something greater is involved here. And that is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So chapter 5 verse 1 naturally says, For we know that if our earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down... We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed, in this house we groan, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. Inasmuch as, as having put it on, we will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal, verse 4, look at this, what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Here's a clue, folks. Something better is coming. This is where the song leader says, okay, let's take it up a key. (laughs) Let's move it up a little higher in the volume. Most of us think, and I don't know if it's most of us or most of the time people think that the end of one's life, when they become ill, when they fight cancer, and we've seen that too much, when their heart starts slowly wearing out, breathing starts to get difficult, that they are being swallowed by death. Look at the end of verse 4. Believer, look at it. It says, What is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Life. If I read that correctly, and I think I have, the better part is yet to come. We're not talking about a fancy car here or a higher paycheck or, or a multi-floored house. But away from this body, away from this earth, away from mortality, away from a perishable body, Jesus says that he came to give us life and to give it more abundantly. He will keep his word. He has for us a life that he has meant us to know. This is what one of my favorite quotes from D.L. Moody. "As a student there, we had to read his biography. Uh, most people call that an assignment. I thought that was a pleasure. You should read it sometime in your life. It's worth your time. Uh, the biography of D.L. Moody. But he was stopped by some newspaper folks one day because he was, he was well known on, on uh, uh, evangelistic circuits and also into the uh, countries across the sea. And uh, they were interviewing one day, talking to him. And D.L. Moody turned to the newspaper guys because he knew they were going to write this down. And he said this, Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East North Field is dead. Don't you believe a word of it? He says, at that moment I will be more alive than I am now. I have just gone up higher, that is all. Out of this old clay tenement into the house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. It got printed. Okay, this first paragraph we just looked through, I didn't go into a lot of detail, but enough to show you that was in reference to the body, right? So move to the second part of the paragraph and watch how naturally it flows in verse 5-8 to the issue of faith. How to live in that body. It says, now he who prepared, verse 5, now he who prepared for us, uh, prepared us for this very purpose is God, Who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. That tells you two important things. Number one, your life was planned. God did this. He prepared this. And number two, He's giving you the Holy Spirit as His promise. That He's going to keep His Word. I think those are pretty good places to start. Therefore... Being always of good courage, verse 6 says, and knowing that while we are at home in the body down here, we are absent from the Lord, we're not up there, because we walk by faith. And not by sight. We walk by faith. All that he's told me I have to believe, that's faith. Not only do I believe it, but I have to live it. That's faith. That's somebody who says this is true, And I anticipate it, and I'm going to live in light of it. We walk by faith. I didn't see those things, and neither have you, that I gave you as a list earlier. But I believe them, and I live in light of them. We are of good courage, I say. I prefer to be absent from the body, and I love the way this says it, and to be at home with the Lord. To be at home with the Lord. You ever wonder what's on the other side of life? Death has that black curtain that we can't see through. It's a mysterious thing for so many. They don't understand what it's all about. And then we have people who tell us stories, how they've died, how they spent 30 minutes or so in heaven, and they were sent back to tell us that it's all true. You know what? God had told it was all true in the first place. I didn't need that. Matter of fact, there's a great story that Jesus tells about Lazarus and the rich man and how he says, you know, even if you came back from the dead, nobody would believe you because that's the truth. I've shared this before, but uh, those who have gone through this, and I'm not going to assume that all the stories are exactly the same, but they're telling us that we need to believe it's true um, because of their story. Their story of what they've gone through. There was one that was uh, interviewed on Fox & Friends quite a few years ago, a medical doctor. And, of course, medical doctors are supposed to know, right? They're supposed to know these kind of things. And so it's, the story goes that he had died and went to heaven and was sent back to write a book and to go on some sort of tour telling everybody that heaven is true. Heaven is true. And I thought it was very fascinating, because in the middle of the interview, the the uh, interviewer asked him, what did you find out about hell while you were there? And the guy said, there is no hell. And all of a sudden, you know why? His credibility just went, <clears throat> to me. Because that just said that God told a lie. That God's not true. God says an awful lot about that place, too. And he just contradicted it with his own testimony, and he wants me to believe him now. I believe God's word every time, not the testimony of people who say they've done this or they. All I do is I wait and listen to them. I give them their room. But eventually, if it's a fraud, it will show itself. It will show itself. There are very few people who have been brought back to life in the Bible. And it's interesting. You don't have a whole chapter on the testimony of Lazarus, do you? You don't have a testimony of the son of the widow of Nain, do you? Or the little girl. We have so many that we read about, and it's interesting. There is one exception to the whole story, and it's in chapter 12 of Second Corinthians, by the way. It was written by the Apostle Paul, and I think he's talking about himself here. There's opinions on that. But he says in chapter 12, verse 1, Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, such a man was caught up to the third heaven. All right, what, 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 what happened here? And I know of such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. God knows. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible words, which a man is not permitted to speak. End of testimony. That doesn't help, does it? That leaves us a lot more curious. What do you mean you heard inexpressible? What did you see in paradise? What is it that you're not allowed to say? But he goes on in this passage to say, you know, it's just true. There is life after this life. We will understand that by faith. And we are of good courage. And I prefer, rather, to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. The same guy, I believe, who wrote the previous stuff says, I want to go. So why would God call us there in order to send us back? If I went home, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay. Spurgeon wrote these words in Psalm 23 uh, when he got to the chapter or the verse on, uh, "Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil." We we've read that many many times, and I love what Spurgeon commented on this. He says, "Uh, "It is not the valley of death; it's the valley of the shadow of death. For death is its sub for death in its substance has been removed." and only the shadow of it remains. Someone has said that where there is a shadow, there must be light somewhere, and so there is. Death stands by the side of a highway in which we have to travel, and the light of heaven shining upon it throws a shadow across our path. Let us then rejoice that there is light beyond. Nobody is afraid of a shadow, for the shadow of a Uh, For a shadow cannot stop a man's pathway even for a moment. The shadow of a dog cannot bite. The shadow of a sword cannot kill. The shadow of death cannot destroy us. Let us not therefore be afraid. I think that's very useful. So we've seen a reference to our bodies and we see a reference to our faith here in this passage. Even though these bodies are wearing out, that if the Lord chooses for us to walk in a valley, we shall walk in it by faith. By faith. Now, let's talk about one more aspect in this paragraph, and I wish we had a lot of time to develop it. Maybe we will in the future. But in chapter 5, verse 9 and 10, he talks about one very important thing that goes with this faith, and it's your ambition. Your ambition. If you pull up ambition in a thesaurus, you will find the words drive, motivation, and goal. Among all the others, those three stood out. So Paul says in verse number 9, that we have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Look at it again. What is our ambition? What is Paul's ambition? To please him. Him. In the context, go back to verse 8. He's talking about the Lord. We have as our ambition to please him. Do you? Do we? Let's substitute our, our thesaurus words here. We have as our drive, whether... At home or absent to be pleasing to him. We say that phrase a lot. Maybe more in, spirit, in sports terms. What drives you? What drives you on? What, what makes you go through the tough practices? What makes you go through the hard battles on the field? Or what, the, the arena that you're in? What drives you? We ask people. What if they ask you today? As to your Christian walk. What drives you today? What is it that you have set your focus on, that you aim for? I said the second word in that sense, not just drive, but but the uh, word was motivation. Therefore, we have as our motivation to please Him. You know, sometimes motivation is hard to get it moving. Maybe it's for like a Monday morning for a pastor. It's like we wake up and we go, uh And we say, I need motivated today. It starts with a cup of coffee, usually. But uh, motivation. Sometimes you have to figure out what gets it moving. We need that from time to time to keep on stepping forward. What is your motivation? In this text, Paul says, this is mine. My motivation is to please him. Set those two words right in front of you all the time. As your motivation. Please Him. Please Him. Please Him. Please Him. Another word I gave you was goal. That generally is the end. What you're aiming for. What you're going to hope to see when you get to the finish of it all. What is your goal? What is your goal? He says again, to please Him. To please Him. So it pushes me on. It helps me keep walking even when I don't want to. But I keep on moving that way because I have a goal. And all of this is wrapped up in that phrase, to please him. To please him. I want to show how this all works together because this is what's so cool to me. You know, in business, many businesses operate by purpose statements. They set it out there and they say, this is what we're all about. This is what we identify with. This is what we aim for. And they set it up and usually have it in some cute little logo of some motto or something else. In churches, it's not uncommon for a church to have a purpose statement. They said, in one paragraph, this is what we're all about. This is who we are. This is what we do. This is why we do it. What's your purpose? As a believer in Christ, what is your ambition? What is your drive? What is your motivation? What is your goal? The answer to Paul was simple. I'm here to please the Lord. By the way, I'll show you this link. In Hebrews 11:6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please him. If it's not part of the ingredient, it won't work. It won't work. Faith. You see, that's where it comes down to. How am I supposed to live right now? He's given me these promises. Do I believe them? Do I live in light of them? All these talks we've had for the last couple of weeks about things yet to come. You say, well, my motivation is a rapture. Well, folks, there's a lot more to it than that. My vote, of, my, my drive is all about the second coming of Christ. There's more to it than that. I look forward to, you know, seeing uh, the new heavens and the new earth. There's more to it than that. Pleasing Him should involve all the elements of my life, all of them. My job, my skills, my hopes, my ministries, my dealings with the public my behavior at work, my attitude toward my spouse, my care for my children, my love for God's church, my use of my money, my use of my time. Take the whole substance of what you think and what you do and what you are and lay it at the feet of Jesus so that he can sit through it and see what is good to keep and what is worthless. Most people worry about verse number 10. In chapter 5, verse 10, we all must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's yet in the future, too. And we see that word bad at the end of the thing and we go, (sighs) maybe you don't. (laughs) Some people do. (sighs) What is that? Bad. Bad. Phalos is the Greek word. Phalos. That which speaks of good for nothingness. I love that definition. Uh, The impossibility of any true gain ever coming from it. That's Thayer's definition. I like that. You know, when when I was a, a child, basically from about the age eight, well into my teens, my parents would send... Me and my brother off to church camp for a week every summer. Some of you were like that too. I wondered if that was for us or if that was for them. They never confessed to what uh, went on uh, because we were gone. But it was not uncommon that when we got home after a week, that somebody had cleaned our room. I mean, they cleaned our room. When we returned our cabinets, our drawers, our shelves have all been rummaged through. Everything. So many of our treasures were missing. Things that we were saving. I don't even know why. That funny rock that looked like something we would put inside the dresser. You know, all those kind of things. Papers. Papers, papers, papers of every kind and shape and color, you name it. We saved everything. We thought they were treasures, but they were actually junk, to confess. we had a hard time letting go of it. Maybe that's why church camps were so valuable to parents. What a time to get rid of junk. There is a day coming for us as believers. Jesus Christ will sift through the things that we call treasures. He will sift through it. He will make a determination between the things we have done in ministry, done in our Christian walk, Done what we thought was in keeping with his expectations and for his glory. But he will know more about why it exists than we do now. Because he not only sees the the thing that was done. And by the way, he never forgets what's done. Hebrews tells us that he will never forget what's been done. But he also knows why it was done. He knows the attitude that followed with it. As to why it was done. He knows that if we did that by our strength. Or by our wisdom. Or by our goals. Or even by our glory. He knows that was worthless. No matter how good it was. But he also knows that anything. That was done by his strength. For his glory. By his wisdom. Is going to last. And he's going to take all the things you've done as a believer in Christ. He's going to lay it out on the ground. I have this in my picture, okay? He's going to lay it all out there, and he's going to have one side of a pile that brings him glory, that pleases him, and he's going to have another side that is worthless and ready for a garbage can. Actually, it goes into a fire. On one side, the things that please him. The other side, the things that are good for nothing. Things that have no value whatsoever. It says, for we, verse 10, we, see that word? We, believer, that's us. It's all of us. That's you. That's me. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one... (laughs) So that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in that body. That body that we started with. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. For a believer, this ought to be, you ready? Brace yourself. This ought to be the most exciting thing for you to look forward to. Most people see the word judgment and they go, "Ugh, that's not sounding really nice. That's like finals to a student. Who looks forward to that? But here's why it should excite you so much. Because if you're doing the things for His sake and not for yours, don't you want Him to get the glory? Don't you want Him to be pleased? You see, if our ambition and our drive and our motivation and our goal is to please Him, do you want to stand before His throne empty-handed? I don't think so. This ought to excite us to a great extent that if we're living to please him, don't you want it to be piled up at his feet? When you stand before him someday and say, Lord, I did that for you. I did that for you. That was my goal. That was my ambition. That's what motivated me from day to day to day to day. Understand this. When you get to this little chorus, the just shall live by faith. It's big. And what you do in this body, though the body is temporary, the things done have eternal value before His eyes. When we reflect on our faith, remember, it's not about what's in our head. Even though we should know what it is, it isn't complete without living it out. That's what we're called to focus on. All these promises lie before us, but we're to live by faith. We're to keep living by faith. We're to reflect on that ambition in life. We're to remember what we do and what we think and what we plan and what we ought to be is something that's in reference to pleasing the Lord. How about you? What is it that makes this life that you're doing right now What makes it have eternal value? Focus on Jesus, folks, and you'll do it right. Fact is, there is yet more to happen when Christ begins the next phase of His coming. If the rapture were to happen this week, would you be found living by faith? Serving to please Him? Let it be known that... uh, all that can considered up there before his throne happens down here before we get there. What are we doing? What are we doing? I call it a matter of faith. It's because I believe this. I'm going to live in light of it. I'm going to live as if today is the day, and yet I'm also going to live as if my job isn't finished yet. I have much more I want to do to please him. How about you? I am to live by faith. Just as they did when Jesus came the first time. Just as they're going to do when Jesus comes the second time. I want to be found walking by faith. How about you? That's what we're called to do. So I'm going to set that on your heart this morning. Alright? That's why we talk about things to come. We're supposed to encourage one another with these things. Comfort one another with these things. Not just simply because I'm going home, but because all these things will be realized before His throne. How did I live? Let's be pleasing to Him. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, we bow our hearts before You. Not just our heads, but our hearts today. As people who will very quickly say faith is important to us, These things we believe, we know they're true because God's Word says so. But the test we have today is on our walk. And whether or not we walk by faith. And if our walk has the ambition, the ambition, and the drive, and the goal, the motivation to please you. Challenge us with those words, Lord. Put them before our eyes right now and examine these hearts of ours. Already we know they're important. The things we think and do, the things that we strive for, they're important. We want them to count for eternity. We want them to be something that pleases our Lord so that when we are there someday, we can hear those precious words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Instruct our hearts today, we pray, Lord, because that's where we need it the most. And we thank you, Lord, for being so kind to us and giving us this reminder, because we need it. In Jesus' name, amen.